listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Let me echo the happy Mother's Day. And mothers, um, I think one of the most important things for you to understand is the love of the Father for you. Okay? The love of the Father for you. Understand that Jesus came and lived and died and bore our sin and rose victorious over death so that we could have life. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Father did. Jesus demonstrated his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you understand his love for you, then I would challenge you to take a second step and believe the gospel. In other words, rest in the finished work of Christ as your only hope. And then once those two things are in place, I would challenge you this morning to live in the power of the gospel as you raise your children. Because there's, there is nothing any greater that, that you could do for your children than to live in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you raise them, as you speak to them, and have in your home the, spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of you. And so I would challenge you this morning, if you've never believed the gospel, moms and everybody, I would, I would invite you this morning to hear the good news and to believe and to live that out and make this, this massive impact on those people that you love so much, uh, your children. Um, so this morning we're in John chapter 11. We're in our uh, I Am series, and the title of our message today is I Am the Resurrection and the Life. We can't understand the, the resurrection and the life unless we understand death. And I, I know that we all, at various times in our lives, we face this thing called death, I wasn't here last Sunday because a, a friend that I had known for 50 years, somebody that believed in me when nobody else did, somebody that spoke truth into my heart and life when nobody else would, uh, when I was the kind of guy that you would want to avoid, and, um, and maybe some of you still feel that way about me. God bless you. I love you anyway. Um, but this person was there for me, and, and I didn't want to miss uh, being there to, to remember their life. And then not long after that, I got a call Monday and the pastor that I grew up with, I'd known Jim Hershenheim for over 50 years since 1971. And he invested heavily into my life. And he passed away on Thursday and his funeral was yesterday, but a dear, dear, dear man of God that loved Jesus. And when you, you begin to experience these things in this text today, we're going to see sickness. And in this text, we're going to see death. These are common occurrences in life, we need to let those things hit us and let us experience them because there's probably nothing any more real and powerful and sobering than the reality of death. And here's, here's what I want to tell you about death as we look at this text. There is no way around it. There is no way around it. But I can tell you how to get out of it. Every one of us in this room, if Jesus doesn't come back first, is going to die. There is no way around it, but I can tell you how to get out of it. Let's look at, at John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, 46 verses, walk through 
this narrative with me. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, does he not stumble because he sees the light of the world? But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. That is such good news. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Some strange words, especially when you link that with how we pray sometimes. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. They're going to kill Jesus when we go, and they're probably going to kill us too, so let's go die with Lazarus. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Bold statement. Now she goes back to uh, verse 22 to kind of clean it up. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God will give you. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When he said this, she went and called her sister Mary. Now, don't miss this. She had no idea what Jesus was about to do, I don't think. She had no idea that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Verse, 20, verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying the same thing Martha said. She's kind of doubling down on it. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by now, this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days, Jesus said to her. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, I knew that you, you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Three things I want you to see this morning from the text. Number one, what is the, the problem? What is the problem? Here's the problem. Lazarus had the same problem that you and I have. He was dead. And we too are going to die. And let us go ahead and face it right now on Mother's Day. Not a very rosy message to preach. But death is inevitable. Death is universal. And death will constantly be invading and disrupting our lives until we die. And then we will experience it as well. I was reading a book this week and... In the preface to the book, one of the people who knew the author of the book and the person that the book was about said essentially this, that all human relationships end in pain because all human relationships ultimately end in death. So here we are facing the reality of the death of Lazarus. And let us not miss this opportunity and occasion to face the reality of our own death so that we can clearly hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 1 to 4, Lazarus is sick. It's believed that Lazarus was the younger brother of Mary and Martha. The conclusion is drawn based on that because you never see him doing anything. <laughs> he's, he's just, he's just the, probably the younger brother, and these sisters are taking care of everything. And they send to Jesus... And they send to him based on their close relationship, believing that as soon as Jesus got word that the guy that he really loved, Lazarus, a really close friend and close friends of these two sisters, they believed that as soon as Jesus got word about Lazarus being sick, that Jesus would drop everything and come running, but he didn't. But Jesus gives us a clarification statement in the text. He says, there's some stuff that's going to happen, and it's going to look bad to you. But he said, don't look at the situation. Don't look at the circumstance. Don't isolate the situation. You've got to look at the situation in the greater context of the glory of God. Most of us spend our lives dropping the microscope down on the situation without giving any consideration to how God might be glorified even in a painful circumstance like death. And so I would challenge you and encourage you when life happens, don't think situation. Don't think if I really could pray and if God really cared about me and loved me that he would answer my prayer and get me out of this, that he would come and rescue me. Think glorification. I know this hurts. I know this is painful. But how is God going to glorify himself in this? I don't know about you, but I find myself in seasons of life where I get frustrated with God. Where I wish He would just see things my way every now and then. 
and hear it my way every now and then. And I think sometimes I think that I know better than he does. Now, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I know in reality I don't know better than he does, but I also know in reality I get frustrated when he and I don't see eye to eye sometimes. I would imagine Mary and Martha were experiencing that same exact thing. And the reason we see it that way is because we think about the mess we're in. We don't think about the glory that God is going to get out of the mess that he and his sovereignty has allowed us to go into. So, so here's the thing. When you look at the situations of life, don't cry out, God, get me out of this mess. Let your first cry be for God to bring glory to himself in the situation that we are in. So Lazarus is sick, a little background, a little setup there. But secondly, we see in the text that there are these divine delays, divine delays. As we look at the problem, the problem of death, we see this divine delay. God intentionally delays. And, and watch this, write this down. Divine delays are delays of love, not indifference. We see it over and over in the text. He loved them. He loved Lazarus. This is the guy, the friend that Jesus loved. He loved Mary and Martha. There was something special about that kitchen and that table that he sat around there when he passed through Bethany. And this was one of his favorite places to go. He loved them. So it's not a question of his love. Divine delays are delays of love, not indifference. R. Kent Hughes said, Christ delayed coming to his faithful, loving followers in Bethany in order to strengthen their love and their faith. So Jesus waited, and when he got there, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. You say, why would he be in the tomb for four days? I'll give you two reasons why he was in the tomb for four days. Number one, with, with, with no air, but probably the stinky odor, air. Here's what a tomb is. A tomb is a, a piece of earth that's been hewn out, and they put up to eight people in a tomb. There'd be three on one side, three on the other, two on the ends. Up to eight people in a tomb. They'd take them, put them in that tomb. They'd lay them on a slab. They'd roll a stone over that opening. When you're put in a tomb for four days, if they're trying to pull off a, a ruse or, or fool somebody, everybody saw him go in, everybody saw that he was dead, everybody knows that the stone has been there for four days, and you can even begin to tell when somebody's been dead for four days because they start to stink, but number, number one. But number two, not only is there an odor, but you can't live three days without water. Four days means this guy's dead. He's graveyard dead. There's no question about it. Four days also gives a lot of people opportunity to gather and come and mourn so that they can literally see this man slide his dead, lifeless body off the slab that he's laying on as he's kind of scrooching himself. I don't know if y'all know what scrooching means, but kind of scrooching himself over to the edge of the slab and dropping his legs and standing up and walking out with all of these grave clothes on or these wrappings that are on him. So, so four days dead, the crowd is gathered, no doubt that he's dead. A third thing we would see as we look at the problem is this, that Jesus could have solved the problem, but he chose not to. Just, just soak that in for a second. Jesus could have solved the problem, but he chose not to. If you go over to verse 20 to 21 to 22, picture this in your mind. Here's Mary going out to meet Jesus. Mary's hair is probably not fixed. Her makeup's probably not in order. If she had any, the mascara has probably run. She's probably pale from exhaustion. She's probably walking around in shock and disappointment. 
and pain. Her eyes are swollen because she has literally cried them out. They're bloodshot. They're red. She hears that Jesus is a a, a little distance away. She goes out there into the Palestinian sun. As she looks in the distance, there's a haze and the sun is beating down. And she comes in contact with Jesus and his disciples who have been on the road, who have been walking, who are thirsty, who are dusty, who are tired, who are sweaty. And all of a sudden, here is Martha coming up before these men who, by the way, think they're going to die at any moment. They've already said that. And so they're paranoid and they're nervous. And all of that energy is meeting right there in the hot sun. And then Mary cries out to him and, and or Martha cries out to him and Mary says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And you should have been here because we gave you ample time to get here. They thought when they got word to Jesus that he would be there at any moment. They probably were standing by the window. Would somebody go check and see if you'd see Jesus coming across the horizon? Certainly they were expecting him to show up at any time, but all of a sudden now Lazarus is laying there and his blood pressure is getting lower and lower and his fever is getting higher and higher and his, his breathing is getting deeper and deeper and finally Lazarus falls into a coma. And all the while, up to the last breath, They're thinking, if Jesus would just show up, he can fix all of this. Jesus will not let us down. Go check again. Do you see him? Yet Jesus never arrived. And in fact, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let Lazarus die. Jesus could have made a difference, but he never showed up. He didn't show up when he could have, and he didn't show up when he should have. And yet Jesus didn't rebuke her when she said that to him. As she pours out the longings of her heart and she pours out the pain of this experience of death, Jesus understands her completely. But do not let us lose in that moment that this reality that inexplicable delays are delays of love. And if you are praying and you're not getting the answers that you think you should get, you understand that Jesus is on the job and he is right on time and inexplicable delays are delays of love. The fourth thing we see under point one, what is the problem, is this, and we see it in verses 28 to 37. Jesus cares more than we could ever begin to imagine. Jesus shows up, Lazarus is dead, and we have to understand the great grief that even Jesus himself is experiencing. Jesus was greatly moved, Jesus was greatly troubled, and Jesus wept. Literally, literally, and this, uh, this makes me want to get emotional when I think about it. When, when the text says that Jesus was greatly moved, the, the word literally is the picture of a, a horse that's breathing out. In other words, whatever air was in his body, he was so touched and so rocked and so troubled and so felt the pain of those around him that he just exhaled all of the air that was in his lungs. And I think we probably have all in some way, shape, or form when some something in life, the pain of life or the pain of death has hit us, the, the, all the air just leaves our lungs. And, and there is that occasion where we just cry uncontrollably when we don't want to. I saw my wife... 
sharing an experience that she had had just this morning and her eyes were tearing up and I walked up and I said, Powell's don't cry, right? We know all that's a lie. But that's what we think. Jesus wept. When Jesus wept, literally, it just means that tears were running down his cheeks. So here is Jesus and he is exhaling with, with grief and he is troubled and he is touched and he cares. We have a great Savior who loves us. We have a great Savior who delays and stays away. We have a great Savior who allows us to go through unbearable pain and circumstances. And at our lowest point of pain and grief, Jesus shows up to enter into our pain and sorrow. You want to believe in him? (laughs) Right. You want to believe in this Jesus? You need to. Just very briefly, how did Jesus respond? Um, Jesus responded by going to the tomb. And literally, we read it in the text. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus gets up out of that tomb and he walks out. Jesus responded by giving us a paradigm of the resurrection that is to come. Not only his resurrection, but our resurrection. And we don't need to to miss that paradigm this morning. We are going to be resurrected spiritually. We are going to be resurrected physically. We are going to be resurrected eternally. But when we believe in Christ, we are resurrected in one sense currently because we become alive because we have the life of Christ in us. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new over and over again. The scripture talks about while I'm here in this body and Christ comes in, that which was dead is now made alive. So we experience the resurrection life even while we are here physically in this body. And so Jesus responded by raising Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus also responded by giving us a paradigm of future resurrection. The third thing I would ask you to consider, what is the problem? How did Jesus respond? Thirdly and finally, who is Jesus Christ? And we focus primarily on verses 17 to 27. Who is Jesus Christ? When Jesus said, and we go all the way back to Exodus 3.14, where um, God has heard the pleas of his people who are in captivity in Egypt, and he comes to Moses, and he says, Moses, go to Pharaoh, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and Moses says, who shall I say sent me? What is the name of the person that's sending me to make these authoritative demands of Pharaoh? And he said, tell them that I am sent you. In other words, the I am is the one that will go to his people in their suffering, in their pain, in their grief, in their captivity, in their death, and he will be present with them. I am going to show up. The I am is the one who shows up. So so who is Jesus Christ? When he says, I am the resurrection, Jesus is present with you in the midst of whatever you are presently going through. Jesus is is present with you in the midst of whatever you are presently going through. Who is Jesus Christ? And Jesus gives us this this portrait portrait of his identity. And he gives us these brush, brush strokes of this portrait of his identity. He says, I am the bread of life in the wilderness, and I will satisfy your deepest hunger and the deepest longings of your soul. I am the light of life in darkness, and I will deliver you from spiritual ignorance 
and life in the dark. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door to freedom. I am the door to provision. I am the door to protection. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he keeps coming with these different identities so that we can understand him fully and they're all the same person. He wants us to be sure of who he is. He wants us to be sure by revealing himself to us that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the one that has been sent from God, that he is the one who is the Messiah, that he is the one who gives life, and he wants that to be undeniable. He wants that to be irrefutable. He doesn't just want us to have good information about who he is, but he gives us all of these things that we, we ex- experience, like, like tasting food or experiencing light. And he says, this is who I am. I want you to know me experientially, he said. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God of very God who doesn't fix every painful situation but enters into our darkest moments and is just with us. And he's just with us. And that is more than enough. I think one of the challenging things about, at least to me, about doing what I do as a pastor is I want to fix stuff. I just want to fix stuff. Man, if, you, if you've got sickness, I, I would love to walk in. I, I walked into uh, ER last night, and uh, when I walked in, I got different directions. Go down here, take a left. Go down here, take a right. If you give me more than three bullet points to your instruction toward me, I'm lost. I'm done. Right, So I'm, I'm wandering all over Macon Medical Center last night. So this lady, I see her in the hallway. I'm trying to get here. She says, well, here, just go down this hallway, walk right into ER. So I walked into ER, and I'm walking, and I'm, and I'm slowly, because there's, there's these beds all in the hallways everywhere, down every hallway. People are laying on them, and I'm just like, what in the world? Where is my mask, you know? Um, and I'm standing around and looking, and there's so many people suffering. I just wish I could walk in and say, all right, everybody gather around. I would love to pray for you. I would love to call on Jesus, and I want to ask Jesus to heal you today. I finally got over to, got over to Gabe's room. Gabe had a motorcycle accident yesterday and broke his femur. And he's laying there, and he's in pain. And uh, his legs kind of twisted around. And um, I'm like, I just want to be like Jesus. Just, just fix my brother right here. Just, just fix my brother right here. We, we see this, this world of pain that we wish we could fix. I don't know about you, but I want to fix it. And there's something greater than fixing the pain and the difficulty that we're going through in life. And the greater thing is the realization of our need for the presence of Jesus Christ in our darkest, most painful moments. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't always make our pain go away, but he is with us in our pain. Jesus is present with you in the midst of whatever you are presently going through. Who is Jesus Christ? Secondly, Jesus Christ is the resurrection. If death is our greatest universal, inevitable, unresolvable problem, then resurrection must be our universal hope. We, we don't understand death, but I can tell you this, that none of us wants to die. None of us wants to die. None of us rationally, none of us, no matter what kind of mathematics you want to do, none of us wants 
to die. And our desire not to die is instinctive. It's, it's not just something that we think about or, or rationalize. It is instinctive. We want to live forever, yet we know that death is inevitable. We know that death is coming. So what do we do? First of all, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. What is resurrection? We see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We see, see Jesus Christ himself being raised from the dead. And you've got to get the picture. Again, why four days? Let me tell you why there's four days. No doubt that he's dead, but here in this situation, it seems like, it feels like, it looks like, based on all the data, based on all the heart rate, based on all the respiration, based on all the O2 levels, everything would tell us that Lazarus is completely dead. In other words, Death in this situation right here in Palestine as they're outside of Bethany there, wherever that grave was, which they found it in 1873, and they found three names on it when they were doing their archaeological research, the names of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this one tomb. But as, as, we're, as we're thinking about Lazarus being dead, death has won. Death is, is running a victory lap. Death is flexing its muscles like we see people do all the time whenever they think they've done something amazing that nobody generally cares about. It's like the championship has been won. The confetti is falling from the ceiling. Champagne is being passed around. Everybody's smoking cigars. Death has knocked out Lazarus. And, and death is standing up on the corner of the ropes in the boxing ring telling everybody how great it is. Death is jumped up on the fence at the top of the octagon, telling everybody in the crowd how great it is. So here is death proclaiming this great victory, laughing in the face of life and dancing in the end zone. We just won the Super Bowl. Life has been defeated. Death is victorious. And it is this death that longs for every one of us and that is coming for every one of us. And it is in the midst of that victory lap. It's, the, it's in the midst of that end zone dance. It's in the midst of death standing and saying, I'm the greatest. That Jesus proclaims that he is the resurrection. And then that Jesus provides the perfect paradigm for resurrection. You see, resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is is a person. That's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The, the, the word life here, Zoe, is mentioned 36 times in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is proclaiming, I, through a relationship with me, you can have and experience resurrection. I am the resurrection and I am the life. So what is resurrection? But secondly, what, is, what was Jesus doing in his conversation with Mary? We understand what resurrection is. How do we understand what resurrection is? We saw what happened to Lazarus. That's the picture of it. That's the paradigm of it. But secondly, what was Jesus doing in his conversation with Mary? And, and listen carefully, and, I, and I'm almost done, and maybe I'll give you an opportunity to take mom somewhere to lunch, and you'll beat the Methodist there. Fat chance of that. But What was Jesus doing in his conversation with Mary? Jesus was trying to take Mary from abstract belief in the future because Mary's like, oh, yeah, I know. He's going to be raised in the future. Jesus is trying to take Mary from abstract belief in the future, which, by the way, is biblical and, by the way, is true. Jesus is not trying to take that away from her, but he's trying to help her understand how the resurrection is to be understood and experienced as opposed to it just being some abstract thought in the future. 
He wanted to move her from an abstract belief in the future to a personalized belief in the one who could provide it. She's like, oh, yeah, 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 I know about the resurrection. I know about the resurrection in the future. And Jesus is like, no, 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 wait a minute. I am the resurrection. He wanted her to understand that it's, that it's, it's a personalized belief in the one who could provide it. So he wants her to go from accurate and good information, not leaving that behind to an experiential relationship because it's not just enough to know about the resurrection. You need to know the one who is the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ alone is the only resurrection and life. It's not something that he gives it's something that he is, and you can only experience, and when, experience it when you know him. So resurrection is personal and relational, which then would cause us to conclude just not only logically but biblically that, that without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are doomed. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are dead. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no resurrection for us. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life. Because Jesus, quite frankly, is the only one that has ever in history defeated death. Jesus is the only one who brings life. So when we live and believe in him, when he is our life, Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears Listen to this. Here's what resurrection means. When, 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 when we live and believe in him, according to the, the text this morning, I'm the resurrection and life. If you, everyone who lives and believes in me, when we live and believe in him, first of all, death loses its hold on us. It cannot keep us enslaved. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been set free of any hold or demand that death might make of us because of our sin. Death loses its hold. Secondly, we are given in reality, in real time, experientially, practically, spiritually, personally, the very life of God. That's why I would say mothers on Mother's Day, believe the gospel, come to Christ because the energy, energy that you need, the, 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 the thinking that you need, the heart that you need to love your children well, it can be the very life of God and his energy flowing through you. We are given in reality in real time, experientially, practically, spiritually, personally, the very life of God. And that then generates a new perspective and a hope and a way of living and relating in time and eternity. Whoever lives and believes in me, he said. So, so when we believe in him, death loses its hold. We are given in reality and in real time the life of God. Thirdly, it is available to everyone who will live and believe. It's not only the life and energy of our flesh or the ingenuity. Please listen carefully. It's not the energy of our flesh. The life of Christ is not the energy of our flesh. It's not the ingenuity of our intellect. It's, it's not the stupendous nature of our efforts. It is available to everyone who will surrender the life of the flesh and the energy of the flesh, who is willing to die to themselves. It is the experience of the supernatural life of God. You see, when we live in Him, we are living in the energy of His life and the reality of His life. And maybe you're here this morning and 
And you're just like, stop it. I just need, I just need all of this. I can't do it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't make it anymore. And I just want to give up. And I would ask you to say that to the Lord. I would ask you to be honest with him and say, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my energy. I'm at the end of myself. And I don't know what to do. And I would tell you that, that you're living in the energy of death. And I'm telling you that you can have the energy of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and the literal life of Christ itself living and flowing through you. That doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change. But your energy and the power and the reality and the perspective and everything inside of you will change in the midst of your circumstances. And the text tells us and makes it clear. It it is available to everyone who will believe. If you will believe this morning. What is believing? I think it's interesting that, that Jesus asked Mary, do you believe this? And she, she gives us a confession here in the text when he says in verse 26, at the end of verse 26, do you believe this? She gives a confession that is akin to the great confession of Peter that we uh, mention so often. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? We all know that in Matthew 16. But, but what about Mary's confession? He says, do you believe this? And Jesus is making this great statement. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. There are two things there. Number one, there's a confession. There's confession. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world? And I would ask you to call upon his name this morning and confess that to him. But secondly, not only is it confession, but it's confidence. In other words, this is the very thing that she built her life on and out of was his life. And so I would encourage you this morning to hear her confession and her confidence. And it, at this point, had no idea what Jesus was about to do in raising her brother from the dead. Show us this paradigm of what resurrection life looks like. Let me, let me just give you a, a few thoughts in conclusion. Number one, don't look now, but you have a problem. You are in a bind and you can't get out of it. And that bind is death. Solomon said it is better to go to the house of mourning than it is to the house of feasting. In other words, it's better to go to the funeral home than it is to go to a party because we are then reminded of where life ultimately ends up and there is something about hanging out at the funeral home that sobers us up, brings us face-to-face with reality. Jonathan Edwards said we should think often about death. I assure you this morning that artificial intelligence, that technology, that medicine, that surgery, that good vibes or even good living will prevent you from dying. None of that will work. Every one of us is going to die. So we all have a problem. Secondly, death is a mystery that we have not solved. It is a dilemma that we do not have an answer to. Some would say, I would just prefer to believe that I came from nothing and I'm going to nothing when I die, everything's over. And I would suggest to you that there's something inside of you that will not rest with that foolish thought that there is no purpose to your existence. There is something inside of you that will not rest with that lunacy. 
Thirdly, Jesus has the answer. Why should I listen to Jesus when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life? Why should I listen to Jesus when he says, I can give you resurrection, I can set you free from sin, and I can give you a life and an energy that will fill you right now that will change the way every change the way you see the world and the way that you relate with everybody that you come in contact with? Why should I listen to Jesus? Number one, because... We are surrounded by the dead and the re, by, by the dread and reality of death. Every one of us. We are surrounded by the dread and reality of death. Secondly, because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were real people with a real tomb in Bethany. Thirdly, because the Pharisees were incensed by this miracle. This miracle was so real and so powerful, and they had no other way to deal with the miraculous power of Jesus Christ other than to kill him because they certainly were not going to admit that one who didn't come up in their ranks and do things the way that they did could be from God. Fourthly, Lazarus arose on the fourth day when they knew he was dead and a great crowd saw him. That is absolutely undeniable. Fifthly, Jesus arose. Sixthly, many have willingly and joyfully died resting in this hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Many have have willingly and joyfully lived and died and given up everything based on the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Seventhly or sixthly, I stopped counting. Many are alive and internally transformed by this reality sitting in this room today and all across the world. Finally, where else will you turn but to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You have nowhere to go. We all want to live. The principle of life is in us. And we all want those that we love to live. Don't we? We all want to live. The principle of life is in all of us. And we all want those that we love to live. We are all deeply and irrecoverably shaken by the death of those that we love. We see that in the text. That is us. We are Mary. We are Martha. We all long for a life that is beyond our physical condition or social experience. Life is not what we think it is. Life is a person. Life is found in Christ alone, now and forever. The text tells us clearly, believe and live. Confess and be confident. Be assured in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you are, when you are, you are invited to the greatest party that there ever was. Because when Lazarus came walking out of that grave, when they, when they, when they just saw him start to move, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And I don't know if his foot started shaking first or if his hand started shaking first, but they saw Lazarus starting to fight through the bandages that they had wrapped him with, and they started seeing him push himself over to the edge of that slab, and they saw him put his feet on the ground, and they saw him walk out. They knew that Lazarus was alive, and folks, they threw the biggest party you have ever seen. They went from mourning to rejoicing to laughter and to joy. There is a great party awaiting for those who are in Christ. 1 John 5.11, I close with this thought, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I invite you to come this morning to remember the Lord, to remember his death, his burial, his resurrection, to remember the hope that is ours, which is resurrection from the dead. And there is no hope to be found anywhere but in him. And he proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And he proved it by himself rising from the dead. In Christ, death is defeated. In Christ, the life that we're created for comes and fills us. Would you believe in him today? Do you believe this? Father, bless us now as we uh, take a minute to take some juice and some bread and remember you. And, And Lord, I pray especially for our moms on this Mother's Day. I pray for anybody in this room that wouldn't know you. But I I pray that you would give them um, the hope and give them a a vision for their children. Their children that could be raised uh, in a a context where it's not our tired, frustrated, failing energy. But it is the energy, it is the power, it is the fruit of the Spirit. I pray that for all of us, but especially if there are any mothers here today that don't know you and don't feel like they know what to do. I pray that they would run to you. In Jesus' name I pray.